Well, good morning. Um, I would like to start this morning by submitting to you an idea. And the idea, the idea is pretty simple, but the idea is this. Um, it is impossible to avoid living within a story. It's impossible to avoid living out a story. That's the kind of core idea I want to start with. I'm going to come back to that a lot this morning. But simply, I believe, and I think this is pretty uh, demonstrable, that everything we do, every action we take, everything we do as humans comes back to the story or the stories that we believe. It's actually, I would say, that's part of what being human is. Um, our culture, maybe you've heard terms like meaning-making or finding finding meaning, meaning-making activities, that stuff. I think this is the way our culture is trying to kind of grasp at this idea, but... Um, the fundamental idea is that stories give us shape to believe things about where we've come from, what's wrong with the world, how to fix what's wrong with the world, what our role or our purpose within all of that is. This is all story narrative. Um, there's a sociologist named Christian Smith who's written a lot on some of these ideas, and he says that no one escapes the moral, believing, narrative-constituted condition of the human animal. No one escapes the moral, believing, narrative-constituted narrative constituted condition. Um, we all, this is just inescapable. We all make meaning in different ways. We all live out of stories. Frequently, um, frequently, I think we don't examine the stories that we're living in, which is an interesting question. But let me give you some examples. So I'll start with kind of a, maybe a frivolous one. But I went to a small rural town high school where football was a really big deal. And we had, you know, popular football quarterback on the team. Um, a couple years, he was a couple years older than me. And then he graduated. And then a funny thing happened. I noticed the next year, he kind of was hanging around the high school a lot, even though he had graduated. Some of you know where I'm going with this. Uh, I'd be walking down the hall, and I'd just see him sitting in the cafeteria, or he'd kind of sneak into study halls and hang out with people, or he'd just be outside the building whenever people would be getting ready to leave. Um, it was pretty lame. <laughs> uh, it turned out, uh, as he, uh, it wasn't hard to figure out that this guy's story, he's like the character in Napoleon Dynamite. He's like, this guy's story was that he was the all-star football guy, you know? And then when that got taken away, when he graduated and all his friends were on the team, went off to college or moved away or whatever, that he kind of kept trying to grasp at that. You know, that was giving him meaning in his life. And he just kept hanging around. Eventually, he, he stopped, I think. Uh, maybe security, I don't know, got wind of it. But uh, that was his story, right? Maybe some of you have seen or experienced similar things like that. On a more serious, deeper level, I would argue that over the past year, um, both the crowds of people who flooded the streets after the death of George Floyd and the crowd that stormed into the Capitol building on January 6th, both of those crowds, in very different ways, were acting out and upon stories that they believed, right? Stories they believed about justice, about our country, about where our country was going, very, very different particulars, but they were, the point is, they were acting on stories. We all do this, right? We all do this. We, like Christian Smith says, we cannot escape it. We live out narratives. And the church, us specifically, but the church more broadly, exists because of a story that we believe, right? We believe that there is something that's very wrong with the world, but we believe that there's a God who loves the world, who acted in a specific way in history to address what's wrong and reveal God's love to the world and to us. And we believe in this story that this God is continuing to work out this cosmic rescue plan, which is kind of what N.T. Wright calls it. 
God is continuing to work out this salvation, this rescue plan, and this God lives in us to enable us to live out the love of God to the world that we are in. This is our story that we believe, and it's why we do what we do, why we gather to worship, why we build community, why we pray. And uh, finding ourselves back in that story, kind of reminding ourselves of that fundamental story, that's the major theme of really what I want to, that's what uh, has come up for me over and over as I've prepared this sermon and working on this sermon this week, and it's what I want to keep coming back to this morning and what I want to share with you. So let, let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into the book of Acts. Um, Lord, I, my prayer is simple. I pray that your story would be highlighted this morning above all else. I believe that um, it is fundamental to who we are. I pray that we would find ourselves in that story, that individually we would, but also corporately as a, as a community, um, we would find ourselves in your story and what you are doing in the world. May we be freed from other stories um, that command our imagination and our affections away from that story. In your name, amen. All right. So today is the last sermon in the book of Acts. I wasn't sure if there'd be applause there or not. All right, yeah, there we go. Uh, <laughs> so final one. We've been at Acts for quite a while. Um, Acts 28. Um, I'll get. In, I'll read a few verses. I'm going to summarize a lot of the passage today, which is what we've kind of been doing uh, in these sermons. Um, but Paul has been arrested, as we've talked about the past few weeks. Ken and I both talked about it in previous sermons. Here's a sh- here's a map. Uh, we talked about this a bit already, but this covers uh, the long voyage of Paul from Jerusalem through Caesarea and his appeal to Caesar and to eventually where he ends up in Rome. Um, just keep in mind things that we've emphasized the past few weeks. He is wrongfully imprisoned. He's imprisoned on false charges. He's been imprisoned for years. The map there gives you the years that, over which this occurred, most likely. Um, he survived a treacherous journey and a shipwreck on the way to Rome. And finally, in this final chapter of Acts, he is in Rome. And actually, the story, the passage that we're going to cover, um, that I'm going to talk about, is actually kind of uneventful, to be honest. Um, there's nothing really particularly dramatic that happens. Uh, so I'm going to summarize a good bit of it. But I want to focus on a few of the key verses um, that take place as Paul is located in Rome. Um, as he gets to Rome, you can kind of see, yeah, you can hopefully see it at the end of the path there up in the, uh, the boot of Italy. Uh, but Rome, keep in mind, Rome is the kind of the seat of power of the Roman Empire uh, at the time. Uh, he has appealed directly to Caesar, which is why he's there. And uh, as he gets, uh, as he travels there, he's essentially put under what we would kind of maybe see as house arrest. Um, he is arrested, but he's allowed to have visitors. He's allowed to speak to people. Um, he's just kind of under a Roman guard uh, until he can go through his trial in front of Caesar. Interestingly, we don't get the actual, like, confrontation or, or trial with Caesar in the passage. It's interesting that that's not there. But regardless, I want to focus on a few things that happen while he is under this kind of house arrest situation. So he is visited primarily, once he gets there, um, there's already pre-existing Jesus communities in Rome, but Paul did not start them. That's something that's really easy to forget if you think about Paul as this person who traveled around the Mediterranean world and starts these communities. He did not start the ones in Rome. They pre-exist his arrival. Um, and so uh, part of what happens when he gets there is the local Jewish leaders visit him in his kind of house arrest situation. Um, think about this for a second. The church has started in Rome. These these small Jesus communities have popped up. And now the Jewish leaders, the, which probably means leaders of local synagogues in and around Rome, the Jewish leaders are visiting Paul to hear him out, to hear what he's about. 
So these Jewish leaders are probably, I like trying to imagine these details. It helps us get into the text, I think. Um, These Jewish leaders have most likely seen some of their members of their synagogues become Jesus followers, right? Um, Because a lot of the first Jesus followers were Jews, and we know that the church was in Rome. And so these Jewish leaders of these synagogues are visiting this guy, Paul, who is preaching a message about Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, who has probably compelled some of their own kind of members of their communities to start following this man as Messiah. Think about that for a second. That would be like, um, it would be kind I don't know, this is an imperfect analogy, but just go with me for a second. It would be like uh, a bunch of pastors, you know, in Portland, uh, getting together to visit kind of a new spiritual philosophical guru who has convinced a bunch of Christians to convert to their way of thinking who is now imprisoned in the jail downtown, and we all go visit him to talk to hear, hear what he's about. It's kind of something a little bit like that. So these, these Jewish leaders are visiting Paul to hear about what in the world is he talking about? Who, like, how is he convincing people that this Jesus is actually the Jewish Messiah that they've been waiting for? Um, they're very curious about this guy. This guy has just stirred up a lot in his, uh, in his time. And I want to start with the first verse that I want to read is verse 20. As he is explaining to these Jewish leaders his situation, he says this phrase. And I would encourage you to read, um, unpack the rest of what he says. We're going to kind of highlight some things that he says. But Paul says to them, It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. Because he is imprisoned, they're visiting him in prison. He says, It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. I find this so interesting on so many levels. He doesn't say... It's because of jealous Jewish leaders that I'm in prison with this chain. It's because they wrongfully accused me. He doesn't say it's because of corrupt and sinful Roman politics that I'm bound with this chain. Or fill in, you know, other, other options of things he could have said. He says it is the hope of Israel. And what I want to say about this, one thing I want to say about this is that Paul links his current suffering, his current circumstance, to the ultimate hope of what God has been doing in the world through history. Or in other words, with the theme of the morning, Paul finds himself in the grand story of God in the world. Even in his imprisonment, he finds himself in that story. It's because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. And similarly, he goes on to say in verse 23, he then explained about the kingdom of God from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. So he's talking to Jewish leaders and he's using their texts the Hebrew scriptures, and explaining to them about Jesus the Messiah. In other words, Jesus is not something totally different and new from what we know as the Old Testament. It's right, it's right in line with what God has always been planning to do throughout all of human history. That's what we believe as Christians. This is, again, this is God's grand story. This is a, this is a through line for all of history. Paul elsewhere says in the letter to the Ephesians, he says that it's God's Uh, The mystery of the ages has been revealed in Jesus. What God has always been up to and God has always been building up to is revealed in this man, Jesus. Do we believe this today? Do we? It's a challenging question for myself. Do I believe that this is true today? Do we believe that we are part of this same story that's unfolding throughout all of history? It can be hard to wrap your mind around that we're sitting in Maine 2,000 years after Jesus walked around. It can be hard. That can, that can feel so distant, disconnected sometimes, at least for me. But the same thing is true for us, the same invitation for us to find ourselves in the same exact story. Just like Paul did, to find ourselves within the story of what God has done and is still doing. And it's a specific story. 
through a specific people group, Israel, and a specific person, Jesus, with specific events that happened, like the exodus, the crucifixion, the resurrection. It's a specific story, but it does lead up to us today. Do we find ourselves in that story? Something that I've been thinking about a lot as I've been pondering Paul's situation and Paul's ability to find himself in the story and to articulate the story and to proclaim it to others. Part of finding yourself in this story of God in Jesus and what the Holy Spirit is doing, part of what it means to find yourself in that story is to say no to other stories. And we see that here in this verse, a glimpse of that in verse 24. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. These are the Jewish leaders still, the synagogue leaders. As a side note, it's so interesting to me, again, that Luke includes these details, right? It's part of what I find really compelling about our scriptures, actually, because if you were going to invent whole cloth, a story about a new faith, would you include evidence that not everyone found it compelling (laughs) in the actual scriptures themselves? I don't think that would be a great idea. But Luke did, I think, because he was trying to just say what happened. Some were convinced, but others would not believe. This is reminiscent, by the way, of when the resurrected Jesus is giving the great commission to his followers, and it says that some of them there doubted. They're standing there with the resurrected Jesus. It says that some doubted. Um, But the, the bottom line here is that some of these leaders did say no to the story that Paul was telling. Paul told the story, and part of the story is an invitation to believe, and some said no. We too, we too can say no. We can go back to other stories that we believe. Though I would argue that all those other stories ultimately leave us separated from what God is doing in the world. So, the next section of the text, as Acts ends, is a reference to Isaiah chapter 6. If you're, I don't know if you're the type of person who likes to jot things down, I'd recommend writing down Isaiah chapter 6 and reading it in its entirety on your own. Um, there's a very long quotation from this chapter. And uh, I really like this. This is a, just a rendition. An artist put together this rendition of the vision of Isaiah 6. So Isaiah chapter 6 is um, this prophet Isaiah, this Jewish prophet, has a grand kind of vision of God's throne room. It's a very famous chapter, actually, in Jewish literature. Um, it's the vision of the cherubim singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's where we get the words to that hymn. Um, so it's very, very well-known, powerful, powerful uh, vision that Isaiah has. It's also, if you're familiar with it, it's the, it's the chapter in which he has the hot coal placed on his lips. He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. But in this chapter of Isaiah, in that scene, Isaiah is commissioned to go speak to the Jews on behalf of God and is warned that they will probably not listen to him. So think about this for a second. As Luke recounts the story of Paul's talking to Jewish leaders of his day, he quotes a very famous section of a prophetic literature of a Jewish prophet being commissioned to speak to his own people and that warn that they probably won't listen to him, right? In a scene in which some of them don't listen to Paul, (laughs) right? This is intentional. Um, This is sobering, actually, for me. It's kind of a wake-up call as to say, do we have ears to hear what God is saying through God's story? 
Do we have ears to hear it? Because you can say no. You can refuse the invitation. Do I have ears to hear what God is saying? And it's especially sobering because, for me at least, because Paul was speaking to people who were very well educated in the Jewish scriptures. Right? So, knowing the scriptures, knowing religion, knowing your practices, being immersed in that religious culture, so to speak, is not a guarantee that you won't miss what God is saying and doing. And this scene, this is kind of where the book and the scene ends. It's, like I said, not super dramatic. It's kind of anticlimactic in some ways. The scene, the, 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 the scene in Acts 28 ends does not end with a mass conversion or repentance like Pentecost in chapter 2. It does not end with a miraculous jailbreak like in chapter 16. It ends instead with a simple assurance that Paul continued to proclaim the gospel with boldness and without hindrance in the midst of his imprisonment in Rome. And then the book ends. And so as I kind of get to the end here, I want to just ask this question. Why did Luke, the writer of Acts, why did he end the book this way? I believe it was composed intentionally. Why in the world did he end it this way? It's easy to forget this, or it's easy to miss this, but it's almost certain, we can't know for sure, but it's almost certain that Luke knew of Paul's death when he composed the book. It was most likely written after the year 70, AD 70, and Paul was um, martyred somewhere around 65, probably. So it's, it's almost for sure that he knew about Paul's... It's almost for sure that he knew what else happened in Paul's life. Did Paul... Like, did Paul actually get in front of Caesar? Did he get out of jail? Did he? Some people think he traveled on to Spain. That was an ambition of Paul's, that he wanted to go to Spain and preach the gospel there. Uh, or did he go back east? And did he, We don't know. Like, we don't know because Luke didn't record it there. But Luke probably knew what else happened. But it's not there. So why? If you were to write a story that was supposed to encourage and inspire the early church, would you end it this way? On this kind of ambiguous ending? Well, I want to suggest something that goes with our theme this morning. I, this is me, this is my kind of conviction um, as I've studied this and reflected on this, this week especially. I think the story ends this way. I think Luke ended the story this way intentionally because the story isn't over. Because God's story is still unfolding today amongst us. Therefore, this ending is written this way because it's an invitation for us who are reading it and reflecting on it to continue to live in that same story. I suspect if, you know, it had been written up and closed off nice and neat little bow, tidy ending, maybe the temptation would be to read it and to think the story was over. But it's not. And I think this is a reminder and an invitation to us to continue to live in the same story. And this, and this is what I want to end on. This is indeed what we are trying to do. Those of us who are especially leading this community through everything we've been through. But all of us who are participating in this community, this of of Missio Dei specifically is what I'm talking about now. This is what we're trying to do by sustaining and nurturing us as a community. We're trying to to faithfully live out God's ongoing story in the midst of our city, in the midst of Portland. 
and the surrounding towns. We're, that's why we do what we do. That's why we gather. Um, that's why we're trying to get our community groups up and running again. That's why we worship. That's why we want to pray together. We're going to spend some time praying together, actually, after this. It's our hope to faithfully live in this same story that Paul lived out and that Luke invites us to continue to live out by ending the book of Acts this way. And I want to end, in this spirit, I want to end on two questions for us today. One is, how do you know you're living in God's story then? How do you know you're living in this story and not another story? Well, this would be a whole sermon in itself. I'm just going to say a couple things about it. This is not exhaustive. But I do believe, I do believe that Jesus himself said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. I do believe that the fruit of your story will say a lot about the story you're living in. So, does the story you live in produce anger, fearful anxiety, bitterness, resentment, hopelessness? Please hear me well. Please hear me. If you, if you struggle with things like hopelessness or anxiety, please do not hear this as a condemnation of that. That's not what I'm saying. But there is a way in which we can live in stories that inculcate and cultivate certain anti-fruits, anti-fruits of the Spirit, to think about the Kids Quest video that we saw. So it's a, it's a question to ask yourself, a question to ask ourselves. If you're in a triad, ask, explore this with your triad. Explore this with your family or your housemates or your spouse. What fruit do you see in your life? Incidentally, I would say that an overindulgent in things like social media will produce certain fruits, right? Um, so what, what's the fruit of your life? What do you see? Is it those things that I just listed? Or, as we see in the way that Acts ends in Paul's story, do you see boldness, humility, confidence, and acceptance of circumstances? Or, to put it even more simply, do you see in your life an increase in faith, hope, and love? Are you increasing in faithfulness and hopefulness in love? If you are, then praise God. God is at work. And this is what I love about this is fruit can increase. Fruit can increase no matter the external circumstances you're in. This is something I've come back to over and over and over again. Paul was in the middle of a shipwreck and demonstrated incredible uh, fruit. So it's not dependent on your external circumstances. But let me say this too. If, if, if in response to this question, if you do not feel like and please, please hear me well on this. If you do not feel like you're increasing in faith, hope, and love, again, do not take that as a condemnation, but take that as a gracious invitation, a gracious opportunity to respond back to God's story again. I think there's always an opportunity to respond. Um, I've been personally hoping and praying, just, man, this is a theme that's come up so many times, uh, but given the state of our culture, given the divisiveness of our culture, given the state of our world, given specifically what this community's been through over the past year and a half, so many transitions, just so much upheaval, given all of that, I've just been hoping and praying so much that we can be a community of faith, hope, and love. And I really hope and pray that those who are connected to our community will experience that through the life of the community together. Um, my second question, which we'll end on, is do you need to convert out of the story you are currently living in? It's kind of related. We don't talk about this much. We don't talk about, you know, conversion. We don't, we don't do altar calls <laughs> um, here very much. But we do believe in conversion. I believe in conversion. Conversion can be, some people have baggage with these terms, and I get it, um, 
conversion can be dramatic, it can be sudden, or it can be long obedience in the same direction, as Eugene Peterson said. It can be long, produce good fruit over time. You can find yourself converted. Sometimes you don't even realize it almost. It's kind of my story, actually. But I think the lens of story and the theme of story is a really helpful way to consider what conversion means and what it could look like. Because as I mentioned just a minute ago, if the story you are immersed in cultivates, quote, fruit like anger, like bitterness, like resentment, like fear, if that story you are in cultivates that fruit, I suggest to you that you need to come out of that story. (laughs) You need to say no to that story. Uh, the stories that crowd out God's work in your life, um, Scripture calls those idolatries. Say no to them and enter God's story instead. And uh, we're going to go to communion in a moment. But I want to link this to communion because as we approach communion, it is a physical, tangible, tactile reminder, action of what God did. It really directly points us back to God's story. And I I really want to encourage you to to reflect on this, to ponder this, to meditate on this as we go to communion. Ponder these questions. How do you know you're living in God's story? Do you need to convert out of the story you were in? Because as we take, I mean, this is these cheesy little plastic cups, (laughs) right? As we take them, when we take out the wafer and dip it in the juice, it points in a very, like I said, tangible way to a broken body and spilled blood of a real person who really walked, who we believe really incar- was really incarnate. The Logos, the love of God. And we really believe that that man on that cross at that point in history, that particular place, that particular time, that particular action is the culmination of God's story. As I said at the beginning, God loves this world. God knows the world is not right and has not abandoned this world. And that non-abandonment looks like the cross and the resurrection that followed. That is the story that I pray we find ourselves in. Because I believe that story, as you find yourself in that story, you'll find yourself freed by the love of God, filled up by the love of God, and able to love others in that same way, that same self-giving way. Even in the midst of a profoundly toxic and divided culture, that story is where life is for our world and for us as a community now. I really believe that. So as... Um, actually I invite um, I don't know, a couple members of the LT can come up and grab these baskets um, start handing them around thanks Joy Danny can you, yeah thanks as they come around ponder these questions prayerfully ponder these questions if you would and consider the invitation to live into God's story anew and what this might mean for you, what this might mean for us as a community. And the faith and the hope and the love that could increase, not just in your life, but in our city and in our town, in our world. And lastly, 
This is really important. Consider every story has a hero, right? Every story has a main actor. And God's story, in God's story, the main actor is God. It's so simple. It's so easy to forget. The main actor is not us. The main actor is God who saves, who is working out his rescue, as I said earlier. And that God invites you into this story, even right now. Invites you out of others that may hold power over your life. So I invite you now to open your, open the top layer of this cup. Take the wafer. And dip it into the juice. And consider that we take this together as a community formed by this story. So I invite you to dip it now and take the body and the blood of Christ shed for you. I'm going to read a short passage from Luke, the same writer as the book of Acts. This is Jesus with his followers on the last night. Of his life. He said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Pray with me. Lord, I pray we would be caught up again in your story, in the story of what you are doing in this world, how you are bringing your kingdom about, your good salvation, your grace, and your plan, and your love for the cosmos. Lord, I pray that as we find ourselves back in that story again, we would be renewed as people, filled with your spirit, filled with your love, to, to overflowing, that we may bring the fragrance of Christ wherever we are. Lord, would you capture our imaginations and capture our affections again by your story and your salvation. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.